here just because I was promised a cafeteria lunch. I'm super excited about that. No, not, I shouldn't be as excited about that. You know, I am actually here because of Sterling. I am literally alive because of Sterling. That's bad theology, but just listen to me. My parents, believe it or not, met at Sterling. My mom grew up across the street. She was a tippin related to the Ball family. I don't know, none of these things mean anything. They're all, I mean, everyone's made in the image of God and that's all good things. I'm not dropping names. I'm just saying Sterling, this is home of sorts. I did not grow up here, but my mom, as a freshman majoring in music here, did not meet my dad until the end of her freshman year because my dad was a junior. He grew up in Chicago, Geneva, Illinois. Paul, he's from Chicago. Came here to play basketball. Paul tried to play basketball. Oh, sorry, Paul, I'm sorry. No, he's got a nasty rip and a back. Just when you think he's gonna go back it in low, he just cashes threes from, I mean, it's Dame time every time with, with Paul. That's all I'm saying. He's a baller if you haven't balled with him. Anyway, so my dad's playing basketball here, but he's dating a girl, doesn't know my mom. My mom doesn't know this girl, and this girl dumps him at Christmas break. Ever been dumped? Anybody ever been dumped? Oh, oh, you don't wanna admit it because they're right next to you, or you're about to. No, anyway, so... My dad gets dumped and he is so depressed, he quits the team, goes back home. And at that point, he's the youngest of five. And so his parents move from Geneva to Denver, to Littleton, to the Denver area. So he goes to Denver. He's like, he's just depressed. At least he's around the mountains. And, uh, and he actually enrolls in classes at CU. So he drives to Boulder while living at home with his parents. He's the last of five kids, just like, what am I doing? And da, da, da. But, but he hears the Sterling Choir traveled to Boulder to do a concert. They're, they did this, they did this uh, concert in Boulder, and so my dad shows up to see some old friends. Again, he doesn't know my mom, and, uh, and as he's watching from the stands as a depressed young man, uh, he looks and sees my mom, and he asks his buddy, like, who's that? I'm like, well, that's Sue Tippin. You don't know Sue Tippin? She's kind of a big deal. She's a looker, as they said back in the day. Can I say my mom was hot? That's weird. I can't say that. That's weird, right? But this is the story, right, that gets told. So as, he, as he's like, okay, I got a plan, he leaves in the middle of the concert. He knew they were leaving that night on the bus, going all the way back to finish finals. That's the way this, this tour went. He lets the air out of the tires of the bus. I know, scandalous. My dad's a criminal, too. Uh, he's in prison right now. That's the end of the story. No, I'm joking. Uh, and so anyway, let's hear the time. And so uh, dramatically someone comes in like as the last song is performed, like someone has slashed the tires in the bus and you can't go home, like this dramatic scene. And then my dad, so he had an MG. You know what an MG is? A little, little Triumph, a little two-person car. Only two people can fit in the car. Him, the driver, and hmm, a suspecting, unsuspecting, I should say, freshman girl, which again also seems scandalous and creeper, but we have Tinder. I mean, that's creepy enough. So anyway... So she's like, he, he says, who needs to go back to Sterling knowing that my mom as a freshman needed to get back for finals? He takes her that night from Boulder to Sterling in their MG Triumph and the rest is history. That's all, is that not an epic story? He re-enrolled the next year, finished. He actually punted also for the football team. Football's playing right now, is that what I hear at Sterling? Things are wacky. Is, is no one admitting that we're, are we actually, are we playing? I don't know what the score, maybe we should move to the Lady Warriors in basketball, huh? 29 and 0, is that what I hear? That's nuts, Coach Bassett has you playing, you play more games than any team in the country? That's insane, so look out, I see a championship 
in your future. I'm not a prophet, though, so take it for what it's worth. But I am all for Sterling. Sterling is the reason why I am here. And I am thrilled to be here. Oh, so I, do, I, I think I have a picture of my family. My wife and I, we met at Kansas State, and these are, this is the best thing that's happened to us, our four kids. Mason in the middle is a sophomore at K-State. Avery to the, whatever, left of Mason. She's gonna be a freshman at K-State in the fall. And Allie and Annie are twins, and they're 16, and time flies. I know every old person says that. Oh, and this is my bride. I can't believe she said yes to me. She said, I just, I love her to death. 25 years will be this April 13th. And so I think she can get refills at McDonald's. That's what I think at our, at our hot date that we're gonna have. But I'm thrilled to be here because Sterling does hold a special place in my heart. And I'm eager to dive into God's word today. And it's all about the reality that unexpected things happen. Unexpected things happen. Have you ever had something unexpected happen to you? Yeah, COVID is obviously the, the most obvious. We're all living it, right? We kind of get numb to it all. Well, for me, I want to share the unexpected story that happened to Amy and I. When we were pre- you, it's, it's already a blown cover here, but when we were pregnant with our first child, and you saw Mason, well, the sonogram technician said, you're having a girl. So you talk about unexpected. When it came time to deliver, the doctor just was like, must have just been reading the sheet like, oh, they're going to have a girl. And out came Mason. And so the doctor's like, you have a beautiful girl. I'm like, the nurse who didn't know anything about that's like, at least she took human body or anatomy, right? And said, that's not a girl, it's a boy. And we, I was going nuts. This is on camera. We have this on camera. That's also weird. But anyway, uh, and I'm like, it's a boy. We didn't have a name for Mason. It was gonna be Macy Margaret. And the nurse said, well, what was the name? It's like Macy. And then she goes, well, how about Mason? And I'm like, no nurse is gonna name my boy. And of course we go with Mason. I love We went with that. That was the most unexpected thing that happened in our family. Shocking. Well, way worse happened to a young man at the age of 17. And, you know, that's roughly your all's age, right? As you are preparing for college and then beyond. And this is the story that we find in Genesis of Joseph. Now, before you check out and say, like, I know this, there's a coat of many colors and so forth, Pay attention to what God has for you today. I believe God has a message for you, as I know he does still as I'm preaching it for me, about what we do in this gap between the unexpected and reality, right? Or what we're hoping happens and then it doesn't happen. And the larger that gap, the greater the depression. The larger the gap between what we expect and then what happens is unhappiness, is anxiety, is fear, is depression, disappointment. And Joseph had way crazier disappointments than you and I probably will ever have. And so we're gonna dig into this. So hear the word of the Lord as we read, starting in Genesis 37. Tori, thank you so much for helping out. By the way, Tori, I hear you, you've been in like every, you're in this play. I think it's appropriate that I'm on one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Thank you, Paul, for that connection. I, I, I appreciate that. But well done, there's so much talent here in Sterling. You guys are blessed. Genesis 37. Starting in verse three, uh, and it happens to be the ESV. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, right? Israel, this is Jacob. This is the father of his, of his many sons here. And, he, and he, it's never a good sign when you have a favorite, right? When you hear that, it's like, uh-oh, drama. 
and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. This is like 101, what not to tell your older brothers. He should know this as a little brother, not to talk smack to his older brothers, but he does. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Going down to verse 20 in, in Genesis 37. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Things escalated quickly, didn't they? I mean, they go from like, I've got a dream and they hate him. I would expect a wedgie of many colors, but not like jumping right into Let's kill him. That's some brutal family dysfunction, and we all have it, but this is crazy. Then, then, we will, then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Take that, little brother. But when Reuben heard it, thank God for Reuben. He, and by the way, I'm getting hungry when I mention Reuben. Am I right? Are we, are we having a Reuben? I don't know. Uh, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. Then... Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to, jo to Egypt. So you're getting the idea. It's like, let's kill him. Hey, let's just sell him into slavery. You know, like that's a, I guess, the lesser of two evils. Jumping into chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. That's a key phrase. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Now look, who could blame Joseph if he started complaining? If he went out and started Trump tweeting or something, right? If he started going crazy saying, my life is not the way it was supposed to go. And yet at this moment, now he has found favor in Potiphar's eyes, who's like the second man in charge of the land. So, all right, things are starting to trend upward and to the right. So maybe happily ever after, do we think? Many of you know this story already. Let's hope that it's going to be hashtag blessed life for Joseph. Well, moving on, Genesis 39, 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now, you don't have to go to seminary to translate that Hebrew phrase. Do you understand what's happening there? Lie with me, but he refused. Are you kidding me? This is like National Women's Month, right? Like power to the, but I don't know. I'm just saying this is the wrong power. It's anyway, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. Talk about a persistent 
Hussy, can I say hussy? I don't know. Uh, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. You know, that's the first streaker in the Bible. I told Brett that I had a special image, but they went ahead and nixed that. Uh, I guess the president had issues uh, with, with that particular uh, Okay, verse 14. She called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. And then down to the bottom, it says, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. No, things are not up and to the right. And he even did the right thing. It was a matter of integrity. He's like, you know, cougar coming after him and he fights her off. He is honoring his boss and God. And yet he still gets the shaft. And now he's in prison. Things are not going well. Then after he's thrown in prison, here, here's uh, more of the story. Genesis 30, 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him. At some point, like, yeah, that's great that you're with me, God, but I'm in prison. This is not going so well. Maybe stop being with me. You know, it might be a reaction. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. So he's the OG, I guess, in, 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 the, in the prison. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So he's gaining favor because everything he does is the next right thing. Wherever you find yourself, if someone has given you the shaft, if you feel like someone's hurt you or wounded you or betrayed you, keep doing the next right thing. That sounds easy and cliche and like an empty platitude, but this is what we learn from Joseph is keep doing the next right thing. God will bless you. Yes, we live in a broken world, but God will bless you. I mean, I'm sure Joseph thought like many of you think, right? That your trajectory will go that you're born, right? You're born and you begin studying at a young age and you get good grades, you adapt and adopt all the social mores and gain influence, you become popular, you eventually get accepted to a great college like Sterling, amen, right? I know we're Presbyterian, but come on, can we hear an amen for Sterling? You're like, uh, this is my 17th choice, I don't know what happened there. I just said, you get into a great college like Sterling, amen, amen. all right. And then you meet your spouse. Is that not the goal? Ring by spring, am I right? Come on. I don't know if that's, hap- that's what happened. You know, is, is there a bus that we can let the air out of the tires here? I don't know. Maybe we can make a, a reunion. And then you get that job and you are crushing it at your job. And then you have your 2.5 kids and you take the vacations. You make the right investments. You retire. And in glory, you play golf and spend time with the grandkids. That's the way life should go, right? Isn't this the trajectory of the good life? Overlay, oh no, I hear. Overlay that with Joseph's life and it did not go that way. It had twists and turns and highs and lows, totally unexpected. So what do we do with the unexpected? The first thing we learn from this story is to release our expectations. We must release our expectations from the past and released our expectations for the future. You know, the the Uncle Rico's of the world, you know that reference, Uncle Rico, right? The guys that are sitting around talking about it like, oh, what could have been? What if only coach had put me in, we would have won state. 
You know, those guys that are living in the glory days. You hear guys talking about that. Maybe you hear them here at Sterling talking about that. If only I was the one chosen, things would go better. These are expectations from the past. These are the what ifs and the if onlys. And some of us can laugh at those, maybe the older guys talking about the glory days, but maybe you are holding on to some if onlys, some expectations of something that should have happened in the past. And you're still mad about how it didn't go your way. If only she wasn't so mean, I wouldn't have done this. If only my boss wasn't such a jerk, I wouldn't have gotten fired. If only, if only, if only. My prayer is that you pay attention to what God might be stirring in your heart that you need to let go of to release your past expectations. Joseph clearly had to let go of some past expectations. He understood this truth. When you cling to the past, you get blinded to what God wants to do in the present. So I'm a wildcat, I mentioned, right? That's my alma mater. Met my wife there. We didn't start dating until after college. It took a little time to work that story. You know, she wasn't right away. I know, she wasn't smitten with me right away. It took, took a couple decades. But anyway, uh, eventually got her to say yes. But K-State has a relatively new coach. You may or may not know, Coach Kleiman, right? He followed the great legendary Bill Snyder. Uh, his first year was 89. My freshman year was 89. I like to think there's a correlation to the W's that started coming uh, our way at K-State. Well, Coach Kleiman has this motto on a t-shirt. Maybe you've seen it. And at first I thought it was kind of cheesy, but it's called win the dang day. You ever heard this? Win the dang day. Win the dang day. And I, you know, I, it's like, it's, it's cool, but it's kind of corny. And then I found out the source of this. He understood this idea that you and I are only given 24 hours. 24 hours. That's a day. And we must win the dang day. And, and tied into the same idea, he talks about the idea that, look, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. So win the dang day. This concept gets elaborated on by an author and pastor, Mark Batterson, who has literally written a new book called Win the Day. I highly recommend this. It's all about stewardship of the moments that we have in our lives. In fact, in fact, life is often measured in, time is measured in minutes, but life is measured in moments. And this is one of the moments for you and for me today is to let go and release the expectations of the past. Secondly, we must let go of future expectations. Now look, by now, I mean, usually it's like by February, early February, uh, all of our New Year's resolution, who here made, did you bother making New Year's resolutions? Sometimes we end up like, oh, giving up in February, right? But I always think, man, I'm gonna get in shape. This will be the year that I get abs and then my abs will have abs and, and that never happens. Uh, or, or it's the year I'm gonna Marie Kondo my closet, you know, or I'm gonna go vegan or maybe go viral on TikTok. You know, maybe I'm gonna meditate every day Make, make, save more money, make a bigger difference. And alas, here I am, it's not even spring break. I don't know if you get a spring break, but anyway, it's not even spring. And I have, and I've fallen short of my future goals. That's good to have goals. We need to have a vision and a purpose in life. That's good. But we must pay attention to our goals, not becoming expectations, which quickly become idols. One of my favorite pastors and authors, and I know is one of Paul's as well, Pastor Tim Keller wrote this book called Counterfeit God. So it's kind of a long quote, but this is powerful. 
an idol. We think of an idol as like, I, I don't worship an idol. I don't have a little statue that I pray to. But here's what he says is an idol. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol as such a controlling, has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. That's what our goals and then expectations can become quickly idols in our lives. That's why God, through Joseph, is teaching you and me, because Martin Luther said our hearts are idol factories. We are constantly making idols out of our expectations. And when we think about future expectations, all that is is saying, I want to take control. The future is like, I want to take control. But we know now more than ever that we can't predict the future. We, you just don't know. I thought 2021 was going to finally be free of COVID, and we're getting there, right? But I mean, didn't they just, they, they've canceled the CMA? Award. I, I thought finally we're going to get back to normal, and things are still not the same. We cannot control the future. The sooner we realize that we don't have control, but God does, the greater our lives will be, the more peace we will have. This is what Joseph is teaching us. Now, I mentioned ring by spring. And an interesting fact, if you guys, if, anyone engaged in here, by the way? So, sometimes, oh, look at this. Congratulations and best wishes. When, it, when is the day? January 1st. January 1st, you are getting married. Awesome. And July 2022. Well, we're attempting to predict the future that you will get married on those days. Now, here's what I know. What, what is your name, young fella? Kevin. I'm sorry. Kevin. 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 Sorry, earwax buildup. I got a problem. Kevin, you are an expert on diamonds more than your fiance. And what's your name? At the attempt of, hey, we can spend an hour. What did you say? Sydney. Sydney, I can go with that. <laughs> Kenan knows more about diamonds than Sydney. So look, fellas, you become experts on cut, color, clarity, and carrot. Am I right? The dudes become way more expert on diamonds than the ladies do, typically, right? And, and Sydney, did you like the ring? Love it. It's a win for Kenan. And Kevin and Carolyn and all the names I thought he was. But a diamond, did you know that for a diamond to get formed, it starts as carbon under the Earth's crust and heats up at 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's intense heat and pressure. And that is the process by which we get a beautiful engagement like Sydney and Kenan, right? That's the process, the pressure, the tension, the heat. And many of us give up. When the heat rises, we give up. And this is all about having grit. Determined. I know these are overused words, but they're God's words to us through Joseph. Grit, determination, perseverance, and resilience. When we realize the process of formation starts with trusting God and not ourselves. Where did Joseph get this wisdom from? Because he ultimately was put in a position of authority to save the world from a famine. That's amazing. We're talking hero stuff. 
We are talking the masterminds of the world. They're trying to solve that problem now. We still have hunger problems in the world today. And yet Joseph was given wisdom by God because remember the phrase, God was with him and everything he touched succeeded even though there were pits, literal pits, prisons, uh, false accusations and he solved the world's hunger problem. And then that epic movie-like moment when his family who had totally jacked his life up came to him for give me life or we will die. That would have been the perfect moment for revenge but he didn't seek revenge. He took the wisdom, and where did he learn that wisdom? It was in the pits of life, in the prisons of life, that he learned the grace, leadership, and wisdom to be applied for such a time as this. You must accept where you are. Whatever the circumstance you're in that feels like it sucks, embrace the suck, as they say. Embrace the unexpected moments because God is up to something beyond anything you could ever imagine. Trust the process. Again, I think somebody keep track of all the hashtag cheesy phrases I've already said today, but these are real, straight from God's word, calling us to live this way. Here's how Paul said it in Romans 5, 3 and 4. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. God uses pain and suffering in your life and in mine. And I know Paul has told stories, can tell stories of how that's true in his life. I know many of you have those same testimonies that can actually give life to someone else going through the same trial. I encourage you to embrace the unexpected, knowing that God is up to something big. We love to blame our circumstances for why we have problems. Blame everything on COVID, right? We want to blame every, you know, the reason why life is terrible, you know, blame it on a politician, blame it on the president, you know, blame everything on COVID. Can you believe Chris Hansen from The Bachelor got canceled? I mean, blame all these problems that we have. We want to blame others, but we don't need to because God is in control. Here's the deal. The process you choose to engage with will determine the person you become. You either choose the process of complaining and whining or acknowledging God is in control and trusting God has something bigger for you. At the end of Joseph's story in Genesis 50-20, we'll call it the 50-20 principle. What man intended for evil, God intended for good. That's the 50-20 principle. Whatever you have been through, whatever you have been hurt by, whoever has hurt you or wounded you, What man has intended for evil, God has intended for good. You can either choose the process of giving God the glory and trusting in him. And as James, the brother of Jesus said, trials and tribulations may come your way, but consider a pure joy because they will make you complete, mature, and lacking in nothing. So are you going to either become more like Christ or become a Karen? I don't know how how that would end up, right? What process you choose will create the person you become so that in time we can learn what Joseph learned, that when we least expect it, God is most present. When we feel like God is so far from us, that's exactly when he's closest to us. When we least expect it, God is most present. Look, we see this all throughout scripture. God does the unexpected. 
When God promised the nation of Israel would come through Abraham and Sarah, they didn't have any kids and they were already old. And then they wait like 20 years until Sarah's 90. I just want to make sure she's nice and ripe to have the first child. So finally, God does the unexpected. And then when it comes time to make sure that the Davidic line, of course, the, the name David wasn't around. They choose the King David, not the stud older brothers who had all this experience in war. David at this point on his LinkedIn profile was like, I play the harp and I make a mean charcuterie board. You know, he hadn't done much and God did the unexpected and chose him to be the king. And then you've got, you've got Esther in there as this beautiful exiled queen who for such a time as this, as I just quoted earlier, fights off Artaxerxes. We see that when it comes time to declare the Messiah is coming, who is it? It's a dude wearing camel's hair clothes and eating locusts. So bizarre. The Bible's weird, unexpected. That's John the Baptist. And then when the Messiah is born, it's not from a queen, but from a teenager who's a virgin in ignominious conditions, scandals surrounding it. Talk about unexpected and then when finally the Messiah is born, Jesus is the rescuer, the hero. He lays down his life. He sacrifices his life instead of starting wars. And then the Jesus movement is over until the biggest unexpected moment in history happened on Easter Sunday. He rose from the dead. This is what God loves to do. Take the unexpected moments in your life take what feels like is dead and makes it alive. To close out, I want to share that that couple, my mother, Sue Tippin, my dad, John Kappel, who met in that dramatic fashion, got married. I was born the next day. No, I'm kidding. I shouldn't have said that. And born in 1971. My dad graduated here in 69. He went to Boston to Gordon-Conwell Seminary to become a pastor. I was born, my sister was born, Emily. Chattanooga, Tennessee, my dad's first call as a youth pastor there. Casey was born, my brother Casey. Then we moved to Olathe, where he was the pastor at First Presbyterian of Olathe. And then my brothers Reed and Aaron came along. And my sophomore year in high school, my dad chose to have an affair. And he was unrepentant. He was confronted and he did not turn away. He had a chance to say, I'm sorry and own up and make things right, but he didn't. And that little girl who grew up in Sterling, who came to Sterling with dreams, got shattered because of a decision that my dad made. But my mom never blamed my dad, not once. She taught me the life of Joseph. She taught me the gospel message that the unexpected is where God shows up and changes everything for anyone who is willing to trust that he has a plan. And I remember confronting my dad on the night that I found out what had happened. I said, dad, how could you do this? And he just said, you don't understand. I said, no, you don't understand. You have been preaching against this and yet you're doing the exact opposite. And he walked out, he walked out. We still have an estranged relationship, too much to go into. But it was in that moment that God taught me anybody can choose to walk away from God for a season. God never walks away from us, but anyone, no matter what your position is, you can walk away. And my mom taught me that the unexpected is where God does his best work. 
And even though my dad was shaping my calling to be a pastor because he was a pastor himself, in his choice, it also galvanized my calling to be a pastor because I knew others were going through pain and suffering that I was going through. And I'm not a savior to save people's lives, but I wanna be there when people are going through their pits and their prisons and their painful moments to say, hang in there. Trust the process that God is in control because what man intended for evil, God intended for good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. It is not just a Sunday school lesson that we learn once as a kid. It is every moment of every day that carries us through the highs and lows and twists and turns of life that are to be expected. So may we expect the unexpected because I promise everyone in this room will face the unexpected. May we not blame our circumstances and go down the complaining and whining path, but may we trust the process, the transformation process of becoming more like Christ. Bless this school and this community to make a difference for the world where lives can be changed both now and for eternity. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.